0: had a wonderful, wonderful Thanksgiving meal last, sun, last Sunday night, and I want thank everyone who brought food. We had a wonderful testimony time afterwards. It was really a blessing and a special time, and if you didn't get to come, I pray you will come again in the future. Turn, if you would, if your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2 this morning as we continue in the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, we'll read down to about verse 8. Colossians chapter 2 this morning, starting in verse 1 to verse 8. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 1. For I would that ye know what great conflict I have for you, and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. That the heart hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God, of the Father and of Christ, in whom are all, who are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words, for though I be absent in the flesh, yet I'm with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Verse 6, And as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, Walk so ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Father, thank you for your precious word once again. How privileged I am to be able to read it, to proclaim it. Thank you, Lord, that you have supernaturally preserved it for us today so each one of us can be blessed by it. I thank you, God, for all your goodness, all the grace that you bestowed upon us. And as now as I ask, as I've asked before, that you would give us ears to hear. And Father, if there'd be one in this room who does not know Christ as your Savior, would you draw that one to yourself? And may each of us who know you be further rooted and grounded, not in the philosophies of this world, but in Christ. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I once heard of a young minister who was applying to be a pastor outside of London. Of course, he was nervous. It was his first opportunity to be a pastor. And he went met before the pulpit committee. And he said to them, now this is, this is my first time, and I'm a little nervous, and uh, I'm, 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 not the most, I'm not the most exciting person in the world, I'm not the most uh, dynamic person in the world, but I believe God's called me to preach the, the word of God. I believe God's called me here, if, if, if you believe so, and I believe so, to be the pastor of this church. And the elder councilman on the board, pulpit committee said, friend, we're so glad you're here today. We're not not asking you to burn up the, the river. But if we dropped you in the river, would you at least sizzle? Would you at least sizzle? What the dear brother was saying, is there something to you? Do you have a passion? Do you have a desire? Is there something inside of you that will help you, encourage you as you take on this role as a pastor? It is said of the great George Whitfield, one of the greatest preachers of all times, that he was in Edinburgh, Scotland, preaching. And the philosopher and skeptic who knew not God went to see him preach. And someone questioned Hume, David Hume, and said, Why are you going to go see D- uh, Whitfield preach? He said, I thought you did not believe in the gospel. And Hume replied, I don't, but he does. What do people know about us? Are we passionate for Jesus Christ? Are we prepared in our life to proclaim Jesus Christ? If ever there was a man in the Bible that we know of was passionate and prepared and purposed to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, it was the Apostle Paul. What can we learn more about this great man of God from this passage of Scripture this morning? Where, first of all, and if you have your notes and you want to fill in your notes, I encourage you to do so so you can remember. First of all, Paul encouraged the church in Colossae to be gracious. To be gracious. To have a passion. To have a desire. To have a hunger. And that can only come not from ourselves. Not from trying to make it happen. But only by the grace of God we see letter A, the conflict of Paul. For I would that you know what great conflict I have for you. And for them at Laodicea, for as many have not seen my face in the flesh. He mentioned this struggle, this word conflict, is actually the Greek word called agnon. Meaning we get the word agony. For I have no that great agony, that great struggle that I have for you. It was a word that was used as the Greeks assembled for the Olympic Games, a place where they agonized in wrestling, in foot races, where they fought and and sought to win. We saw a whole lot of agonizing yesterday. And a whole lot of fans agonized after the games, too. That's a different... So says the Seminole. (laughs) That's a different sermon. But Paul agonized for them. He had a great desire for them, a great passion for them, for them, a love for them. Like William Carey, the first modern missionary. Before he became a missionary, he made a leather ball of the world and prayed that God would send him somewhere on that leather ball. And ultimately, he did. He did. Paul was passionate for them because he loved them. He cared for them. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 8, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure above strength, insomuch that we despaired even, for, even of life. He, he was so passionate to get the gospel out. He cared so much to get the gospel out that he was willing to give his very life to do so. What would you give your life to do so? Would you give your life, hopefully, for that person beside you or in front of you? For your wife or for your brother or for your mother? Oh, you say, I would give my life for them. But would you give your life for the gospel? Oh, we believe about 45 missionaries now are gone to, 40, 40, to the foreign field. And often, when I talk to these missionaries, I ask them, are you willing to give your very life in Africa? or ireland or peru or where it may be for the gospel for the sake of the gospel if it is the lord's will and most of them would say i would be really ready and willing to give my life they've laid their life down for the truth of the gospel that's what paul was willing to do he was willing to labor among them he was willing to struggle. He was a tent maker. He was willing to not only preach the gospel but to labor because he didn't want to be having he didn't want to be inconvenient for those people around them. He was able. He was willing to work day and night to provide the funds to help him go along the way to be that missionary, or, or, or to those people. He wrestled in prayer for them. In chapter 4, verse 12, it says he told how faithful Epaphras was, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, salute you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers. He may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. So he was laboring, and Epaphras, this fellow servant, was laboring in prayer. Do you and I labor in prayer? Do we agonize? Do we struggle in prayer for that, for that son who's gone astray? For that daughter who's not right with God. For that uncle or aunt who's not in church, who used to be in church. When's the last time you shed one tear for somebody who's on their way to hell today? Oh, I think about that prophet. The weeping prophet Jeremiah who wept over the state of Israel. Who was willing to give his life for Israel. Dear, do we shed any tears because we care about the soul of those around us? Oh, Paul's heart was enlarged. It was in agony. I'm sure as he was there in prison, he had many a sleepless night thinking about this little church. This little church that he didn't even know. He'd never been to. He'd never seen personally. Oh, he knew Epaphras as we talked about in the past. He heard about their works and their faithfulness, their steadfastness, but he'd never been there himself. Yet, though he'd never been there, he cared for them, and he loved them. Do you have a great passion? Do you have a great care? When people see you, what do they know about you? What are you passionate about? I read this wonderful statement this last week by Gary Thomas, in his book *Sacred Marriage*, our passions are what make us come alive. The apathetic person is a pathetic person. While we often fear our passions because they can carry us into a affair, a fight, or some other destructive behavior, the solution is not living a less passionate life, but finding the right things to be passionate about. Oh, yesterday, everybody was in here was saying, "Go Gators!" How many times have I seen people in the rain and in the snow up north and they're in their stands hovering and shivering just to go to a silly football game where they're passing the pigskin. Oh, they paid hundreds of dollars. They took time and energy and money to go to a football game but get somebody to come to a church service. Oh, I got a cold preacher. If I go to church, I might get sick. I've seen people ride on a motorcycle hundreds of miles in the rain. There's nothing more miserable than being on a motorcycle. And I've done it. I drove from Macon, Georgia, all the way to Fort Myers, Florida in a rain just like this. And I was miserable. And yet, afterward, I'd say, Let's do it again (laughs) let's do it again why because I was passionate some of you would go work 60 70 hours a week and get back and said I did good and thank God you work but how passionate are you to read the Bible your Bible has dust on it was the last time you passionately shared the gospel with someone When's the last time you passionately prayed for someone? Oh, we're passionate about so many things for paste pearls, for things that cannot, will not satisfy you. But how passionate we are for Jesus Christ. The Bible says, Jesus said, Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. Do we really love him? Oh, we love all these other things that are sometimes good. Oh, I love football. I love sports. I love to work. But dear dear friend, we ought to love Jesus a whole lot more. How many a person will keep a little rain from coming to a church service when they'll spend all day long in the rain working on some project? You've lost our passion. I've said it before and I'll say it again. The problem with America is not in the White House. The problem with America is in God's house. Because we become passionless. We just come and do our duty on Sunday. We sit down and we say, hello, how you doing, kumbaya. Listen to a sermon and go back our way to our houses and we live our life as if we never went to church and heard the message. We go back to the normal. But dear friend, if you're going to live for Jesus, the world's going to look at you as abnormal. They're going to say, you mean you went to church on a Sunday night? Yeah, yeah. You mean you went to church on a Wednesday night? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You mean you went on Christmas Eve? Yeah. You mean you actually give money to God? Yeah. You mean you actually want to tell people about Christ? Yeah. That's abnormal. Would you be abnormal for Jesus? Would you be abnormal? Would you be laughed at by your own family who think you're crazy for being in a church on a Sunday morning in the rain when you could be getting ready to watch the team play or getting ready to say bye to your family? Would you be willing to be looked at as strange pilgrims, different fools for the cause of Christ? You will, if you really love Jesus. We see his great conflict, his great agony, but his challenge. This says the hearts, their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love and to all the riches and the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Perceptive Christians have always known the key to spiritual well-being is an increased knowledge and focus upon Christ. If you want to grow in the Lord, you have to know the Lord. You have to know him and spend time with him and dwell in him and and follow after him. C.S. Lewis, right before he died, wrote a letter to this little girl. Dear Ruth, many thanks for your kind letter, and it was very good of you to write and tell me, that you like my books, and what a very good letter you write for your age. If you continue to love Jesus, nothing much can go wrong with you, and I hope you may always do so. If I was to say one word about you, I would hope it be said, that person loves Jesus. You see, dear friend, if Jesus Christ doesn't come back in the rapture, though I hope he comes back even today, all of us are going to be buried somewhere, someplace, sometime. And some folks are going to say some words about you. If you want anything said about you, you would hope it'd be said about you that by your very life, by your language, that we know about you, that you had a love for Jesus, you cared about Jesus, you had a desire for Jesus. Oh, dear friend, you think of Christ, your conception of Him is everything. What you think of God. That first thought means everything... And is everything. Do you think about Him who is wonderful? Do you think about Him who is great? Do you think about Him who is gracious? Do you think about Him who is merciful? Do you think about Him who is kind? Do you think about Him who is faithful and true? Do you think about Him who is caring and loving? Do you think about God and all His wonder Because He's a many facet God... Yet he's angry at sin and jealous over us every day. Do you think about him? Do you emphasize him? F.F. Bruce comments, Paul emphasized that the revelation of God cannot be properly known apart from the cultivation of brotherly love within the Christian community. So, of course, it's not only loving God and thanking God for the love that he has for us. It's showing that love. And how do we demonstrate that love? By loving the brethren. For the second commandment is love thy neighbor as thyself. How do we demonstrate our love for God by showing love towards the brethren, by caring, by sharing, by comforting? That's what Paul was saying here in this verse, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love. That's why I love these testimonies that we heard last Sunday night. We heard the love of, we have for one for one another the care the concern the compassion and that's what a church should be known for that we're a loving church serving a living Savior caring for our community what should Gainesville know about this church not that it's between two barbecue places Dave's and Sonny though I often tell people if you miss Dave's and you hit Sonny's you've gone too far (laughs) in lots of ways But, dear friend, they should know about us because they see us down there at the game. And even though it's raining like this, we'll say, do you want to schedule? They should see us down there in the community. They should see us in the nursing homes, praise God. They should see us out and about on door-to-door in other areas as God gives us opportunity, telling people about Christ. Why? Because it's about North Gainesville Baptist Church. No, dear friends, it's not about us. It's about him. And as we do good, we glorify the Lord. We glorify our Father, which is heaven. That's why we do these things. We need to be light. The greatest light in the world is not some decoration you put on a tree or on a house. It's us. It's us as believers. We need to be light in this dark, dark city of Gainesville, which is going to get darker. We need to be that light. We need to be salt and light to this community, and we only do that if we choose to do. It's not going to happen just because we say, well, I'd like to be that light. <laughs> it's like saying, well, I'd like to put those Christmas lights on. Oh, I'd like to decorate my house. You can say that till your face falls off, but unless you actually put those lights on, they're not going to happen. Man, go ahead and do it. I know it's tough. Just go ahead and do it. You've got to be willing to do it. You've got to choose to do it. You've got to be prepared to do it. We have to be willing to do it. Can we do those things? Alexander McLaren said, All which, all which we can know concerning God and man, concerning sin and righteousness and duty, concerning another life is in him, who is the home and deep mind where truth is stored, the central fact of the universe, and the perfect encyclopedia for all moral and spiritual truth, the incarnate word, the lamb slain, the ascending king, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, obviously, he's not against philosophies, as the world has many philosophies, but he's, what we're what we're talking about is the truth that's in Christ alone. Someone who wrote the house of Dina Bo, the church of our blessed Redeemer saved, with his own precious blood, for her, for her, my tears shall fall. For her, my prayers ascend. For her, my cares and toils be given till toils and cares shall end. If you shall say these words to God, you are in your way deeper than the knowledge of Christ. Is your knowledge for Christ? Is your passion for Christ? Is your desire for Christ greater today than it was this time last year? If not, there's something causing you. There's something s- causing you to stumble in your Christian walk. What you need to do is, by, the God, by God's grace, is, dis- is discover what that is that is causing you not to grow. I had some plants we seasonal plants. And I noticed that something. There were some plants over here that were doing good, and there were some plants over there that were dying. And I thought to myself, what was it? What was it? And I put the sprinklers on, and the ones that were doing good got water. And the ones that were doing bad didn't get anything. And maybe the reason why we're not growing in Christ is we're not getting the water that we need to grow in Him. We see the importance of being gracious. We see the importance of being grounded. It says in verses 4 through 7, And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words, for though be absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, joying, beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith. See, the basic attack against Christianity is falsism, It's deception and lies, especially, and this is true of all cults, they always attack the deity of Christ. That's why it's so important that if you know anything, you know what who is Jesus, you know who He is, and it starts from the Old Testament, even to the New. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1, Now the Spirit express, speaketh expressly. Then the latter time some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 8, But though we are an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. We must be grounded in his words. But secondly, we must be grounded not only in words, in walking. For it says, As ye have therefore received Jesus Christ the Lord, walk ye in him. Dear friend, don't pattern yourself after some person in this world who's walking a worldly walk. Don't pattern yourself after some actor, some actress, or some person because they're popular, because they have things and stuff. Trust me, those things and stuff does not satisfy them. Cannot satisfy them. Go on, go, walk not after the ways of the world, but if you're going to walk, and we all must walk, walk in Christ. Read the Gospel of John and see the great love that Jesus had for his Father and the relationship that they have for one for another. Read the Gospels and how Christ not only had a relationship with his Father but had a relationship with the disciples and those he came by and how he loved them and served them and cared for them and healed them and ministered to them. That should be our life. The world says to us, be selfish. Get all you can and can all you get. Get all you want. Get the biggest, the greatest, the nicest, the, the, the most wonderful and show the world who you are. That is totally opposite of Christianity. Christ came not to be served, but to serve. What is great about you is how you serve other people. And where's that scene? That's scene in your home. Who's the greatest servant in the home? Who's washing the dishes? Let's just get practical. Who's washing the dishes today? Who's doing the laundry today? Who, who, who's taking the garbage out today? Now we're getting down to lab. I'm, I'm going to quit preaching. I'm starting meddling now. Who, who, who's, going to, who's going to clean the house today? You see, the person who has the dirtiest tile, that's the person who wins. Jesus came not to be praised. He came to serve. Are you the servant? Are you the servant? Are you the one who always saying, I'm willing to help? I'm willing to serve. I'm so thankful for so many people in the church. I know so many people in my church. If I needed something, I could call you. And in a moment, you'd be willing to do it. You have that servant spirit. Thank God for it. Cultivate that. Cultivate that. Be grounded in your walking as you have received the Lord. Receiving him means more than just accepting him. Is many more than just going by the traditions. That means you received him as your Lord. Spurgeon wrote, It is interesting to notice that the apostles preached the Lordship of Christ. The word Savior only occurs twice in the Acts of the Apostles. On the other hand, it is amazing to notice the title Lord is mentioned 92 times. Lord Jesus, 13 times. The Lord Jesus Christ, 6 times in the same book. The gospel is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You see, some people just say, well, Jesus is my Savior. And praise God for it. <laughs> but that's just enough to get you to heaven. And praise God for salvation through Jesus Christ. But, dear friend, it's deeper than that. The next step is saying, I want him as my Lord. I'm willing to follow him. I'm willing to do whatever Jesus Christ wants me to do in my life. That, dear friend, is going from salvation to discipleship could you say of yourself I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ where he goes I'll go what he says I'll do what he bids me I'll say yes I'm a follower I'm a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ that's what we all shall be Mormons <laughs> man Jehovah witnesses yesterday I went on visitation I knocked on a door a guy came out I know he thought I was a Jehovah Witness. <laughs> he came out almost in a rush, almost like you know he was prepared like, to fight a lion or something. Uh, he's like He goes to Otter Creek Community Church. And he's like, I said, hey, I'm just North Gainesville Baptist Church. Here you go. What are Jehovah Witnesses known for? Their passion to proclaim their false teaching. Do we have such a passion as that? They're willing to tell people. Mormons, they take two years off. Two years out of school and they go out and preach their false truth, their false gospel. They take two years off to go serve another Jesus. How many people do you know go off, take two years off to serve Jesus? I've not met many. I've not met many. I read of Charles Simeon of Cambridge. It says, when he awoke one morning, he had these words on his lip, Jesus Christ is risen today. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You see, friend, it's only when we get a glimpse of Jesus Christ and when, when, what he has done for us that we'll willingly say, I will do whatever you want me to do because you've done everything for me. What is your love and relationship with Christ and see, be grounded in wisdom, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith as ye have been taught abounding there. And with thanksgiving, I remember going out west for a little while and living in Nebraska. I saw these tumbleweeds. ever seen a tumbleweed? <laughs> There's nothing to them. They're just a bunch of weeds rolling down the way. You can kick them and play with them. And as they go, they go with the wind. There's nothing there but a plant has to have some, a root system. A tree that stands like some of these oaks have a great root system. The better the root system, the longer the tree will stand. We're to be rooted in him. We're to be grounded in him. The most important thing about this church is not the walls, it's not the steeple, it's not the chairs, it's not the pulpit, it's the foundation. The most important thing about you is not what we see, it's what is in here. It's what's inside is who you really are. This, this outside it comes and goes, and you have older, it gets wrinkles, it loses stuff up top, it goes, it fades. But, dear friend, who we are is inside, it's the soul of man. The Colossians Christians were rooted in Christ. You think about Psalm 1, the importance of the imagery there that David gave that a Christian. A Christian young man is supposed to be rooted and grounded by the by the rivers of water by the by the streams found in the word of God. That's the source of his strength. The source of his strength is not the riches found in the world, the fun and the joy all out in the world, but it's rooted in the word of God. That's why everything goes back ultimately to the word of God and my relationship to it. A healthy Christian walk spills over in gratitude and praise. We're not talking about just mindless things that do not matter. I heard about two men who were walking through a field when suddenly an angry bull chased them. They headed for a fence as fast as they could. One said, say a prayer, cried and uh, and said, I don't know any. Huffing and puffing to his companion, you've got to, said the first. That bull's getting closer. "Uh, Okay, he shouted, I'll say the only prayer that I know. He said, for what we're about to receive, the Lord make us truly grateful. It's the only prayer he ever prayed. Sadly, the only prayer many Christians know is, Lord, lay me down to sleep. Do you even have a better prayer than that? When was the last time you really sat down and talked to God? You said, preacher, how do I pray? Talk to God. Talk to him. Tell him your problems. Tell him your needs. Praise him. Oh, wouldn't it be nice as we're getting ready to go into this Christmas season? We've been there for like three months, right? According to Walmart. Wouldn't it be nice, instead of asking God for anything, you just took about five minutes and simply praised him? Just had a litany of things. Maybe you just even write them down. Think about what God has done for you. Hopefully, this last Thursday, you took time around the table and you, you said what you were thankful for. Maybe a few words, maybe a lot of words, but you said what you're thankful for. Are we still thankful for God? We're thankful for His grace, His mercy, His kindness. All He's done for us. Do we take time to be thankful for Him and what He's done for us? Oh, the Gnostics, the vain philosophies that they taught, the vain religion that they taught, they had nothing for philosophy. They had nothing for thankfulness. But Christians who love God are all first and foremost thankful. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17. And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. You say, preacher, he says... I'm supposed to be thankful, yeah, yeah. Bible says in Ephesians chapter five, verse twenty, give thanks for always, for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, if I break down on the rain on the way to Sonny's barbecue, I'm supposed to be thankful, yeah, yeah, because you could have been broke down somewhere a whole lot, lot worse. It could have been a whole lot worse. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. We're to be gracious. Secondly, we're to grounded. and as we close this morning, we're to be guarded. We're to be guarded. It says, beware lest any man spoil you through the philosophy of vain deceit. Against the effects of error. There's so much false truth out there. You don't, have to, you don't have to look very far. Just spend about three minutes on the TV and you see false truth. You see error. You see heresy. And it's everywhere. I've known people who were soul winning, bus captains, serving God, st- sitting on the front row of the church, read one book, one book, and no longer in church. No longer picking kids up on Sunday. No longer in the front of the church. But they're out there professing some heresy because they read one wrong book. Why? why? Why did they do that? Dear friend, the reason why that happened because they weren't rooted and grounded in God. You have to know what this book says because if you don't know what this says, you'll fall for anything. You'll fall for anything. If I was going to give out some false money this, this morning, if I was going to give you some false money, I wouldn't go out there and get some yellow construction paper and put some weird little symbols on it and a Batman symbol in the middle and said, here's some false money. No, if you're going to give false money, you're going to try to make it as close to the original as possible. And that's what the Mormons do. That's what the Jehovah Witness do. That's what the Gnostics do. They have it so close, it's hard to under to know the difference. That's why you have to be rooted and grounded in the Word of God, because if not, you'll go after vain philosophies of the world what are some of the characteristics of these vain philosophies first of all they believe that god was once a man but because of a he led a virtuous life he was reincarnated to successfully higher lives until finally became a god in his own planet and then the god of heaven (laughs) what do they do they make jesus christ be only a man just like us they deify yeah, they, they, they reduce Jesus from being Lord to being someone just like us in all aspects of life. if Bruce says, of the gnostic philosophy, the spiritual confident tricksters against whom they are put on the guard did not inoculate or incalculate a godless and moral way of life. The error of such teaching would have been immediately obvious. Their teaching was rather a blend of the highest elements of natural religion known as Judaism and paganism and there's so many false truths just like that out in the world. So first you realize it's against the effects of error but secondly it's against the avenues of error. What's the second false characteristic of false teaching? It's demon controlled after rudiments, the basic principles after Christ. All these false religions and all these false teachings, you back go back and read their establishment. Read Joseph Smith. And what how, and, he meeting this angel. What is, what is all that from? Dear friend, it's demonic. And wouldn't that be the right ploy of the devil to get something as close to the truth as possible so they would be taken away just a little bit, a little bit seemingly in error, but ultimately leads to a person's damnation? But dear friend, all you have to do when you go with Jehovah's Witnesses is, is say to you, go to the book of Revelation and say, where's 144,000 at? you ain't going to make it because you're not a Jewish male going out during the tribulation preaching the gospel. But, dear friend, if you don't know what 144,000 is, you won't be able to talk to them. You won't be able to talk to them. If, you don't, if, you're, not, if you're not able to share with them what the word of God says, you're not going to be able to tell them what the truth is. We have to know it. Secondly, thirdly, excuse me, not only is it a dememnish, dem- demim- the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, it's a demon-controlled belief. But thirdly, False teaching, like Gnosticism, is enslaving. Beware, lest any man spoil you through the philosophy and vain deceit after tradition of men, at the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. What are the characteristics of all false teachers? They are cultish. If you don't do the things they want you to do, you are outside of the group. You don't drink the Kool Aid. You don't get to be a part of our group. Christianity, a friend, is not a cult. Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a relationship with a person. That's why it's so different. That's why I can go from North Gainesville Baptist Church to that South Church down south or that church out east and that church over there, churches, independent fundamental Baptist churches all over the world, and have sweet fellowship. Because what is our common denominator? Not their traditions, but the Word of God. Because we believe and teach and preach and by the grace of God live the Word of God. How are you doing this morning? May I ask you a question? Are you being gracious? Are you passionate in what you believe? Are you apathetic in what you believe? Are you grounded? Are you studying this book? Are you wanting to know more about this book? And are you guarded? Are you careful? Do everything that you hear, everything that you read on TV, on the radio, from other people, you first ask yourself, does this align to what the Word of God says? Not based on feeling. Not based on the popularity of the person who says it. But does what someone say, does it align with this book? If it doesn't, forsake it. Are you guarded? As we were heading to visitation yesterday. Catherine mentioned, listen to BBN. And I would recommend that station highly, especially at time. Only Christian music, Christmas, Christian Christmas music for a whole month. And we have it here in Gainesville. Praise God for it. But she was talking about the little Bible club and they were singing the song about patience. And as she was thinking about that, and I was on visitation, this song came to my mind as we used to sing in Sunday school If you're saved and you know it, clap your hands. If you're saved and you know it, clap your hands. If you're saved and you know it, then your life will surely show it. If you're saved and you know it, clap your hands. And that little phrase, if you're saved and you know it, then your life will surely show it. Does your life show it? Does your life at work show that you're a Christian? There's your life at home when there's nobody else but just you and your husband, just you and your wife, or just you and your kids, or you and that cat, or you and that dog, or you and that bird. I better quit. When no one else is watching, does your life show that you are a Christian? Or if someone hired hired a private investigator and they were to, put some cameras on you, would they say, man, there's a whole lot of evidence for them not to be a Christian? How are we really living? Be real. In your life, you know yourself. As much as you know yourself today, how's your thoughts? How's your attitude? How's your life? Does it say, by your actions, that I'm a Christian? I hope it does. And if it doesn't, why not do something about it today? Not tomorrow, not next week. Oh, I'll change someday, preacher. When I get older, when I have kids, when I get married. No, you probably never will. The Holy Spirit's come by today and taught you about an area in your life that you need to change. Are you willing to change this day? He's come by and said, you need to start doing something. Some of you did last week. You some start reading the Bible. Praise God that you did. But he's asking you today to stop doing something and start doing something. To stop a pattern of bad thinking in your life. A habits, a bad habits in your life. To start doing things that are good. He's speaking to you. He's talking to you. He's nudging you. He's helping you. He's trying to help you this morning. Will you listen to his sweet, still voice today? Or will you ignore him again? Again. Again. Oh, Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for your wonderful word. Oh, Father, please, through thy spirit and through thy word, help us to obey you. If there's any area of our life that's not pleasing to you, help us just to acknowledge it and be willing to change. Whether it be privately, whether it be publicly, any relationship, any hobby, any habit, anything that we're doing that does not please you, oh, God, show us, show us. May we be happy say yes for him who gave everything for us head bowed and eyes closed maybe someone in this room say preacher I'm not sure I'm a Christian can I ask you a friend are you 100% sure if you were to die today you know for sure you'd go to heaven God forbid you get back on this old wet road and somewhere we're slamming in and he hit you and you'd go out to eternity would you go to heaven or would you be in hell the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. Friend, you can't be saved by being here today. You can't be saved by getting baptized. You can't be saved by being good. The only way you can be saved, as I said before, by recognizing the fact that you are a sinner, repenting of your sin, be willing to turn from it and to place your faith in Jesus Christ alone.